Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited you came across this message. The sermon you're about to listen to is from our series, Awaken. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Amen. Well, uh, it is a joy to be with you and among those who are so loved, again, coming from just outside Toronto, Canada, it is uh, humbling for me and it is an honor. I think it's a huge honor today because I'm willing to go on a limb and guess that there has been no other Canadian that's been entrusted with this pulpit over the course of this church. I, I'm, I honestly probably think that's probably true. And so that makes, I'm in very special company then and I take that very, very seriously. On behalf of my wife, Jill, and I and my brother's family, actually my brother Jamie's sitting over there, his wife, April, they... I moved up to Vegas several years ago, and that's how this all began, too. We came out to visit Hope here. The Lord changed my life in that moment Travis was speaking about in such a neat way for ministry and this relationship with Pastor Vance. I love your pastor. I love your pastors, and I love this church, and so honored again and glad to be with you right now. I'm also excited where we're going today in God's Word. Very special text to me over many months. Matthew chapter 14. If you can turn there, as I said just before I came out, I don't have a message apart from God's Word. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14, a familiar passage, but I pray it's going to hit you in a very, very fresh way. Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 to 21. The feeding of the 5,000 is where we're going right now, seeking to get as close to Jesus as possible. There's a certain phrase in our passage today that has meant so much to me over many, many months. It's one of those phrases that I couldn't get out of my mind and impacted my heart again in such a real way as well. The more I meditated on one specific phrase in our text, these things happened to me. The more my sin was revealed, but the more my faith increased. And as that happens, the more my expectancy also grew. And I'm praying so much that would happen with you right now. I didn't like to say this. I didn't come all the way from Canada in this pandemic for nothing to happen. You know what I'm saying? Like came all this way that God would move and the Holy Spirit would speak. And I'm so glad you took on a clap for that. Clap for that. Amen. Love a church that claps. That is so awesome. And we're wanting and we're expecting, man, the Holy Spirit to teach and to move and to transform. So here's my prayer for our evening together. That the weak, the weary, the worried those who feel they are without, that you would, by God's grace, be wonderfully encouraged. Here's what, here's what Jesus is going to do, as he often does in a way we don't expect or even anticipate, but he's going to expose our insufficiency. He's going to reveal our inability, and he's going to make us aware of our inadequacy. But why does he do that? He does that in our lives that he might show us that he alone is our sufficiency, our satisfaction, and he alone can be our substance. 
So as the spring rains come upon the earth and bring revival and renewal, but here we are in the desert. And I read today from Isaiah 35, as streams find their way into the desert. And I was sitting, we're at Green Valley Ranch. I'm sitting in the casino at like 5.30 in the morning. I wasn't playing, trust me. I was in my Bible reading the word and this verse there in Isaiah 35, and the streams in the desert. Yes, Lord, we're in the desert. Bring streams as only you can. Would you bring refreshment and life as only the Holy Spirit can do that? And also, please, God, would you do that? This is the reason we're here and the reason we keep seeking the Lord for only he can give. So today, Jesus changes everything and everyone around him with five words in our text today. And here are the five words that my prayer is you'll never forget the rest of your life. And that's a big ask. But I think it's realistic based on our text today. Here are the five words. Jesus says this, bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. And when you see the context of what we're going to see, I pray you'll be just excited as I was as well. So again, if you're weak, if you're worried, if you're weary or woeful, perfect. You're in the exact place that you are supposed to be because Jesus wants to speak to you personally and directly. I know there's been lots of prayer tonight. I cannot go a moment further without just taking my turn right now. Father, I just love to declare uh, inadequacy. I love to say weakness, Lord. I love to say need you, Jesus Christ. Thank you for this church. Thank you for how much it means to me and my wife and my family. Thank you for how you've used the leadership of this church to impact me, God, and to change the church that I'm a part of in such friendship and partnership and love. And now I ask, Lord, by your grace, that you would just send maybe, Lord, a small deposit, but would have such significance and meaning upon the men and women and children that are here right now. Oh, Lord, would you do that? It has to be you. This whole time, Lord, this whole ministry, my whole life, it just has to be you every single time. So, so gladly, Lord, saying broken, poor in spirit, needy, humbled by you, and asking for you to do what only you can. I pray this in Jesus' name. If you agree, you can say... Amen, amen. Matthew chapter 14, take a look at verse 13. Here's our passage, familiar, but I pray powerful. Verse 13, now I'm reading from the ESV. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Live in the text, live in the text. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we only have five loaves and two fish. Here we go, here we go. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down in the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all laid and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. That's so awesome. Now, now, it's important as we get started here, this miracle is recorded in all four gospels. Now that's significant because it's the only miracle to do so. 
Okay, so right away, we should sit up a little straighter because by, again, the perfect direction of the Holy Spirit, only this miracle is in all four Gospels. It explains to us and highlights the significance of the theology and, of course, the meaning within our text right now. Our context reveals that Jesus just heard about the death of John the Baptist. And upon hearing about the death of John the Baptist, the text says he withdraws to a desolate place. Jesus was seeking solitude and solace. However, the crowds realize that he is leaving and they're very eager to be with Jesus. Eager to the point, the text tells us that Jesus gets in a boat and goes from A to B, crosses to the other side. The crowds see what he's doing and they're so uh, fervent to be with him. Mark's gospel tells us that they ran on foot around the north side of the lake and they actually beat Jesus to the point um, of when he got there. That's how much they wanted to be with Christ. But remember Christ in his context, the death of John the Baptist, solitude and solace, and he opens, gets on the shore and the crowd are there to meet him as soon as he does. So he's met by the masses, okay? You're tired, you're grieving. For most of us, this would aggravate us. I think that's fair to say, whether we say it out loud or internally, we would feel this. But for Jesus, verse 14, notice, he meets the crowds with compassion. His other reaction here is to heal them. That's in verse 14 as well. But just stop right there for a second. Notice the heart of Jesus Christ for humanity ministering, pouring himself out. The crowds run around. He's in the boat. He wants to be alone. He meets them. He has compassion and he heals them. Who's that for even right now? This is the heart of Jesus Christ again for his people. Apparently this day of ministry uh, went all day long. They blew past dinner time. It was here the disciples indicate they're in the middle of nowhere. They suggest we should send the crowds away to get some food. And from our standpoint, right, that's a very reasonable suggestion. That makes a lot of sense to us. They're in the middle of nowhere. Everyone is tired. They are hungry and daylight is waning. But, and verse 16 actually says that word in verse 16, but Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. Now, it's so interesting, eh? Verse 16, Jesus says, they need not go away. Let's stop there for a second, okay? When it comes to the needs of life, when it comes to anything that is essential in life, never send people away from Jesus. Always send people to Jesus. Can I get an amen for that one, right? They need not go. Don't send them away from me, Jesus is saying. Keep them close to the very source of life itself. Absolutely, they need not go away. And then he says this, you give them something to eat. Now, I love that because what's Jesus doing? He's setting them up. He's setting them up here big time, right? Jesus proposes they fix an impossible situation, humanly speaking. And with that one sentence, right? When Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat, right there, he exposes their inability, insufficiency, and their inadequacy. Jesus says, you feed them. Now look at verse 17. But they said to him, we only have five loaves and two fish. Now, this should be almost comical for us in one sense. But the disciples would not have been laughing. The disciples would have been stunned. They would have been staggered. They say, we only have five loaves and two fish. There are 5,000 men here, the text says. 
That's not including women and children. So scholars estimate and commentators say man, at least 10,000, likely 15,000, and possibly again with the size of families in that day, there are 20,000 people there at this time who are all hungry. And Jesus says to his disciples, hey boys, you give them something to eat. We only have five loaves and two fish. That's just from a small boy's lunch as we learn in the Gospel of John. Furthermore, five loaves. It's not like a loaf of bread where I come from in Canada and here in the U.S. I went to some grocery stores, right? A loaf of bread, you can dish it out. There's what, like 15 slices of you hand out. You can feed a family with a loaf of bread. The loaves of bread, speaking of in God's word here, more like think a dinner roll. Like a small little bun, enough for a boy's lunch. And the fish, they're not too huge salmon, right? Catch it in the Atlantic off of Canada or something like that, right? They're not too, they're actually dried and pickled fish, really just a glorified way of flavoring the bread. So you have five loaves, tiny little dinner rolls, and these dried pickled fish, and it makes the situation even more preposterous. You give them something to eat. Church, loved ones. The situation is absurd on every single level. 5,000, 20,000, including men, women, and children, only enough to feed from a small boy's lunch. And the disciples look at the masses and they look at what they have. And they're like, Jesus, we have this, a, a paltry, pathetic, insignificant amount for the requests that is needed in front of them. In John's gospel, Andrew says this actually. Andrew says, what are these for so many? Good word, Andrew. Very good word, right? Now, okay, live in the text, live in the text. Hey, you're, you're a disciple. Jesus says you feed them. You look out, there's, there's a few hundred here right now. Imagine looking at 15 to 20,000 people. Like that's what they're doing. So live in the text, imagine that. 15, 20,000 people, it's a lot of people. And Jesus is like, can you, can you feed them please? And they're like, uh, uh, right? And in that moment, you're like, that is absolutely impossible. But listen, isn't it glorious? This is so glorious because this is the starting point of seeing God work. What's the starting point of seeing God work? Here it is, recognizing we can't. The starting point of seeing the Lord do what only he can do is recognizing we can. One of the foremost principles, again, in scripture, all over the place. We are the disciples being asked to feed the 5,000 in so many ways. We show up with our five loaves and two fish, so paltry and so pathetic. The things, again, we're trying to see done in our lives, but we can't possibly do it on our own. We see the need, we see the supply, and then we're left ever humbled, and really the truth is we're left humiliated. But here's what the disciples forgot, and this is where everything changes, right? Jesus says, hey, what do you have? Five loaves and two fish. Here's what they forgot. They had five loaves, two fish, ready? And one Jesus. And the moment you add the one Jesus, every single thing is about to change, right? As has been said, amen, amen, amen. As it's been said so wisely, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, right? Five loaves, two fish, but don't forget, boys, one Jesus. As I meditated on that phrase, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat, Robbie. I was thinking about different situations, again, that translate to us. As we look at our lives, you try and lead your family on your own. You try and save your prodigal child. 
You muster up the strength to battle Satan by yourself. You go try and friend, solve your friend's problems and great burdens. You find the wisdom to lead through the confusion and the chaos of our day. You gather the energy to raise the kids, keep your home in order. You find the ability to forgive the person who has deeply wounded you and offended you and the resentment that you feel. You go overcome the depression that haunts you. You conquer fear and anxiety that overwhelms you. You heal the sickness that confronts you. You solve the grief and loneliness that surrounds you. You fight the hatred and the division that tempts you, let alone this. You try rescuing people from death. You try and transforming lives. You try and bring revival. You give them something to eat. And we can't. We look at the thousands and we look at what we have and it's, it's an impossible scenario. And this is what Jesus wants his disciples to see and wants us to see right now too. The things that we want to see happen in our lives, whether it's in our home or outside or in our society or in Las Vegas here right now, it's like the five loaves and two fish with the thousands and thousands of people that need to be fed. We just can't do it. But what is Jesus doing? He's setting the boys up for what comes next. The next words of Jesus are absolutely life-changing. And this is the heart of our text here, verse 18. Take a look at verse 18 again. I want you to remember this for the rest. Please, Lord, could you do that? Jesus says again, bring them here to me. And the moment he says that and does that, you throw it all human wisdom you throw it all human understanding. You throw it all human limitations. Just throw it out the window or in the garbage. And you hear Jesus say, bring them here to me. Don't miss how profound this is, right? Five loaves, two fish, one Jesus. One Jesus and Jesus enters the equation and anything is now possible. I mean, think of how true this is all through scripture. Think of Gideon and the 300. Think of David and the five smooth stones. Think of Elisha and the jar of oil. Abraham having no children. Daniel and his diet. Joshua and Jericho and the trumpets. Elijah and the loaves of bread. Peter and his zero fish before Jesus arrives. Jehoshaphat and his worship music that ends up defeating the enemies. How about the 120 and then Pentecost? Every situation is, we can't do it. It's impossible. Five loaves, two fish. Except Jesus Christ then comes in and everything again changes. Amen. Amen. What a savior, isn't it? What a savior we have. Bring them here to me. Already the Holy Spirit's starting to apply that in your life. How does that work for you right now? What situation is Jesus specifically saying to you? You've been trying on your own. No, no, Jesus says, you bring that to me. Bring them here to me. We are so weak and so feeble, we have to see that. But Jesus Christ is so awesome and so glorious. Just as the song says the great hymn, child of weakness, child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me, Jesus says, Thine all in all. 
Jesus Christ, the moment, the moment Jesus says, bring them here to me, that's the moment where the disciples see it, but Jesus knows it. That's the moment. That's the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. He's the one who gives the living water. Jesus Christ is the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the creator of all things. When Jesus is overseeing the 15 to 20,000, every heart is beating by his command. Every lungs that are breathing, he allows every atom and molecule in their body, Jesus is sovereign over every single one. When he says, bring them here to me, the absolute sufficient God Almighty is the one who's talking, who can do anything, who's absolutely sovereign and so wonderfully good and beautiful and amazing, worthy of our worship. Bring them here to me again. Everything, everything begins to change. Oh, may verse 18 ring in our hearts and minds. I say it again. Lord, please, for the rest of our lives, I pray me underline that phrase. Circle it. Do something. Make sure you remember the next time you turn there. Like, oh yeah, I remember that kind of crazy Canadian guy came up and there was this phrase, bring them here to me. Whatever it takes, remember that you might always remember the sufficiency, the beauty, the glory of Jesus Christ. What other proof do we need that we can't feed the multitude? What other proof do we need? We can't do it. It must be Jesus Christ. What other situations do we need to see and understand that apart from Jesus Christ, we can do nothing. We can do nothing. Jesus says to you and to me today, he says this. He says, bring your exhaustion to me. Bring your struggling marriage to me. Bring your crippling anxiety to me. Bring your lack of wisdom to me, bring your anger to me, bring your addiction to me, bring your lack of provision to me, bring your hopelessness to me, bring your sin to me. Bring your lack of contentment here to me, bring your uncertain future to me. And Jesus says, you've had your turn. You've been trying in your effort and your ways and your methods and the ways of the world. Let's see what I can do now with what you got. Let's see what I can do with your five loaves and two fish. Amen. That's what Jesus is saying. We've tried, haven't we? I've tried so many times in my life to my own failure and misery. And Jesus says, don't you understand, Robbie? You can't do it. That's the design of why he is God and we are not. And so he says, bring it to me. What do you need to bring to the Lord right now? What is the Lord asking you to bring to him? I remember the first time I attended this church. It's a long story. It's a beautiful story. It ended up me being here right now. I was in a service struggling and weak. And the Holy Spirit moved upon me so powerfully before the sermon even began. And Pastor Vance preached so great that day. But I was so broken, overwhelmed. I remember walking out of the worship center over there. And I said to my brother, I'm sure, Jamie, if you remember this. I said, Jamie, I feel like I got saved again today. Now, I didn't, okay? I don't believe in that theology, okay? But that's the way I felt. I was so overwhelmed with the presence of Jesus Christ. And that was a turning point for me in this church at that time. Totally unexpected everything glorious because Jesus Christ is the answer. He's the answer. He's the answer. And now watch what Jesus does as we go to him in this way. Look at verse, look at verse 19. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. In a word here, wow. 
loved ones, please notice there, okay? Watch this. God has his own set of mathematics. Have you seen that? I mean, look at what's happening right there. God decides what he's going to do. The disciples begin to divide, and the provision actually multiplies. In fact, as it went on, the more that was subtracted, the more was supernaturally added. Who can do that? Jesus. He's the only one who can. You're, you're giving it out. And instead of running out, it multiplies again. How does that all happen, man? That's one of those videos I want to replay in heaven. You know what I'm saying? Like, how did that all work exactly? How did that happen as the baskets and they're going out? And look at what God is doing. Look at what he does with our scanty, and let's be honest, pathetic provision. He takes what we offer and surrender and are broken before him. And he supernaturally multiplies he says to you and me today, he says, bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. The needs are so great, aren't they, in our day that we live? I mean, Canada's crazy town, okay? The needs are so great. I'm so burned for my nation. Like, it's, it's messed up, man. Like, people are just lost. And, and the, the, the need for Christ, the needs are so great. The burdens are so real. The answers so few. Like, I'm standing on a daily basis, man. I look out on the masses, and I just feel like, Lord, I got nothing. And he's like, I know. That's the point. Right? You got to bring them. You got to bring them to me. And then you start to pray. And you start to believe and to say, man, there's nothing that our Lord cannot do. This is why Jesus boils it down. Bring them here to me. Man, how many times have I heard Pastor Vance tell the story of this church? And I just want to make sure I get her name right. Letty Peralta, is that right? Letty Peralta, when this church began, and you know the story, she went out walking. Is she here by chance? Probably not, eh? But okay, anyways. Letty Peralta, she's walking the streets of Vegas praying. What is she doing? Here's my five loaves and two fish, bringing them to Jesus. And look what happened. Look what happened. Pastor Vance, if I get this story right too, his green Dodge minivan, is that true? Green Dodge minivan driving from Alabama or Georgia, was it Alabama? Coming here with a hope and a prayer, five loaves and two fish, offering it to the Lord, bringing it to Jesus. And many of your lives have been changed and multiplied as a result of that offering to Jesus Christ. That is awesome. That is awesome. Don't ever forget, like where you're sitting right now, people have gone before you and they lived out this text. They knew they couldn't, but they gave what they had and Jesus did the rest. I'm telling you, man, this is my first time in this awesome building right now. As you go forward, time and transition with her, do not bring this building to Jesus as awesome. Do not bring the incredible pastoral staff and leaders you have as great as they are. Do not bring all the years of wisdom and ministry experience as what's gonna take you forward. That's all great. So good and so needed. Bring your brokenness again. Bring your humility again. Bring your dependence again. Bring yourself in the awareness I cannot do it. And that will continue to take you forward in the years to come. The moment we get sufficient is the moment Christ checks out, right? The longer we can stay dependent, I just like, like where I come from to my ministry, I, just, I say this thing over and over and over again, right? I just keep reading the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn, right? Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. You go on and on. Every single Beatitude is just all about, we are busted. Jesus is awesome. And you apply that now. It's the same thing here. Jesus says, bring them here to me. Bring them here to me and let's see what I can do with what you can. What is, what is Jesus asking you to bring to him tonight? What situation have you been holding on to too tight? And the Lord right now is 
Holy Spirit is prying your fingers off of that and it's time to let go because it's not working and you know it. And now the Holy Spirit is asking that you would give up that you might be super blessed. I want to consider three applications of this truth today. I'm going to go through these briefly, but they're very, very important. They'll be on the screen for you. What do we learn about Jesus Christ from our text? Number one, Jesus is our sufficiency. Jesus is our sufficiency. You know, you think the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So sufficient, Jesus Christ, bringing our need to Jesus Christ. The glorious, astounding reality of the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Here's an illustration I've used for so many years. We have that pyramid of glasses right here. This is something God gave to me like my first year of ministry. It's simple, kind of silly in some ways, but I love it so much. I think it's so powerfully principled on obviously the Bible. Okay, this is our life, a pyramid of glasses. If you've ever watched a pyramid of glasses, often they pour in champagne or some other non-alcoholic liquid or whatever it is, all right? So I'm not sure. Anyways, they pour in at the top and the top glass overflows and then the second one. And as long as the source keeps going in, this row filled and then this row, this row, until the whole pyramid of glasses is totally filled. The only way the entire pyramid is filled is you start with the top glass. Jesus Christ is the top glass of our lives, okay? What we often do, if this is our life, we like filling compartments. Fill my home, fill my job, fill my hobbies. We're trying to focus on different aspects, but until we fill our lives with Jesus Christ, we will not have every other aspect filled. That's so key and so important, right? What? Seek first the kingdom, right? Count all things as lost compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Set your mind on things above if you've been raised with Christ. When you fill your top glass with Jesus Christ, here's the guarantee. If you just, we make life too complicated sometimes. We're always trying to figure out the will, this will, that. How about start here? You start here with Jesus Christ, surrender and broken and desperate for him. If you fill your life with, with, with the sufficiency of Jesus, automatically guaranteed, every single other aspect of your life is influenced because that's who Jesus Christ is because he is sufficient. I'm telling you, we make it way too complicated. Start here. Start here. Get back to me in a couple of months and let me know how you did, okay? It won't be easy. It'll just be wonderful. It won't be easier. This is harder. Because everything comes, it'll just be wonderful because it's Jesus. Jesus is, bring them here to me. That's what he's saying. Bring them here. Fill your top glass. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's the first and greatest commandment for a reason. And then see what happens after that. Jesus, our sufficiency. Jesus is our satisfaction. Our satisfaction. Look at verse 20. And they all ate and were satisfied. They were all inside. Every single person had their fill. Isn't that amazing? So satisfied in the original can, can, can really in English be translated like stuffed. Like, like no one left hungry is what the Bible is trying to tell us. Isn't that amazing? 10, 15, 20,000 people possibly. Every single person had their full. They left and they were satisfied. Why is that so important? It is a symbolism for the utter perfect satisfaction that is only found in Jesus Christ. He is the satisfying one. For me, March 9th, 1997, 22 years old, bottomed out in life, tried all the things I could do, partying, um, athletics, uh, even school, even just really good things, all these things trying to accomplish, and then all of a sudden, I bought into it. Everything became miserable. I was not satisfied. It was in my parents' home on a Sunday morning. I finally broke down, partially through the influence of my brothers, even here through a, a musical CD that he gave to me. I thought it was lame because it was a Christian band. It was 
DC Talk, and the album was in the light. I hit random on the CD. I was so desperate. I just want God, because God, if you're real, I'm listening. I hit random. Back in the days, you hit random on CD players, and song number 10 came on, and it was the song In the Light. And basically what I heard was, I keep trying to find a life of my own apart from you. I'm the king of excuses. I got one for every selfish thing I do. I was like, that's so my life right now. It says, what's going on inside of me? I despise my own behavior. This only serves to confirm I'm still a man in need of a savior. I, I cannot describe to you what happened in that moment other than the closest thing I see in scripture is Paul on the road to Damascus. The scales were lifted from my eyes and I grew up in the church and I, I believed in God, I did not know him. And I'm telling you, in that moment, all the dissatisfaction I had in life, all of a sudden, in one single moment, it was all found in Jesus Christ on that day and I've never been the same again. And that's what Jesus Christ does. He, he is the satisfaction. He's the only one. Maybe you're here right now and you've been searching, searching for weeks or months or maybe even years. You've been searching too, just like me. And you've tried everything. You tried everything. You know, from our hotel, I can see a portion of the strip and I just, and I, I walk through the casino at Green Valley in these days and with my wife and I walk by myself and sometimes I have worship music blaring in my ears. And as I'm doing that, because I'm just like, it's, it's the worldliness that I see, but understanding, it just, it won't, it won't add up. It, it will not satisfy. And just even praying as I do to see the, the contrast of what is false and what is real. Jesus Christ is the one who is real. He's the only one you could play slots until you die. It'll never, it'll never, even if you win, it'll never do it. Only Jesus, only Jesus. The world, the world cannot do it. You guys understand that. You know that. And Jesus Christ tells us again, sufficiency, satisfaction. And then this, Jesus is our, our substance. Did you notice Jesus stands really at the head of the table of the thousands and he says a blessing? Why is that significant? That's a foreshadow of Jesus Christ for the Messianic banquet, standing at the head of the table for all of eternity, pronouncing the blessing on all those who believe and love him. That's happening. You know, as the Israelites were fed with manna in the wilderness, here's Jesus Christ being the bread of life as we know. He is the very bread of life standing there feeding the masses. All of this is pointing to him and his glory and there's no one like him. He is the substance because he is the bread of life. Lastly, I want you to see this. Notice in this miracle where Jesus is sufficiency, he is again satisfaction, substance. Notice here, the miracle is performed through his disciples, beginning, middle, and end. Did you notice that? The disciples use at the beginning and the questions, in the middle and the distribution. At the end, they have the 12 baskets left over, which are full, which is another symbolism of abundance only found in Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the source of all life transformation, and yet who does he choose to use? to see the fruit go forward, his disciples. Why? Because he is the vine, point to the branch. Point to the branches. Let's see it. We're the branches. You see that? You see that? By God's sovereign design, the branch is dead apart from the vine. But the branch is designed to bear the fruit from the source being the vine. We are the branches. We can't multiply the food, but we are the instruments through whom the fruit is supposed to be displayed from and the gospel message is supposed to be told. It's just so awesome. Jesus is the one that he wants to use you and me in the process. That's humbling. But that is so encouraging. He's not done with you yet. He's not done with me yet. I need to hear that right now. I tell you, I need to hear that right now. 
He is the vine and we are the branches. And so what an awesome thing. Jesus, you're the only one who can do it. And yet he's like, yeah, but I'm choosing to use you in the process. He gets the glory. We get to see the awesome work of God. Again, what this church has represented for all these years. Amen, 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 amen. Awesome, awesome. So all that ready, bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. Again, I pray. I pray that is a phrase you will be saying so many times in the days and maybe, Lord willing, years to come. Jesus says, bring them here to me. How do we respond to this message right here? I have three things, and maybe we can just put them all up if we have them. You can just put them all up at once. That would be great, okay? Number one, if you're like me, the first thing you need to do is to repent of your self-sufficiency. Just to say, Lord, I have been living in such a way that I can. Today I'm reminded and I see clearly I can't. Self-sufficiency is a killer, an absolute killer upon the human race. So many people refuse to be saved because it's, it's not on them anymore. They can't humble themselves to be broken to admit they need God. Self-sufficiency is a killer. We need to repent of that. We need to confess our sin in this regard. Secondly, hand over your inadequacy. As hard as that is because then our pride is, is, is lowered, but then the beauty and the power again all over scripture, all over the place. God is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushing spirit. God upholds the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This is what the humble do. They hand over inadequacy, that the adequacy of Jesus Christ would be seen. And thirdly, maybe this, just trust him in his sovereignty. As, as, as the disciples looked across the masses, impossible, an impossible situation. Jesus is like, I got it. I got it. And Jesus right now, in our impossible situations of our world and all the things we see around us in North America and across this globe, Jesus is like, we sang it today multiple times. Jesus is like, I got it. I got it. Self-sufficiency, repent of, hand over inadequacy, trust him in his sovereignty. All of that essentially comes down to this. Bring them here to me.